Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Sends and Suffers Podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley, and welcome to the show. It's been a minute, y'all. All right, so first things first, I know you guys are like, Mario, when are you going to land on some music? But this is Pearl, my, my buddy, Devin Dabney. This track is fire. And this track kind of sets the tone for this episode, honestly, funny enough. We're going to be talking about music. We're going to be talking about things that remind us of our childhood. And if I had to describe a feeling to sum up this episode, it's hominess. Straight up. It's just hominess. That's really what it brings into that feeling. So I'm really excited to share a conversation between Devin, Chris, and I about our past and the things that have shaped us into who we are now. Now, on the reels, got to make a little apology. I know I've been out for a minute and some of you guys have been reaching out to me and I super appreciate it. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you reaching out. Snowpocalypse hit us pretty hard. And honestly, being from the Northeast, snow wasn't the issue. Not having power and having to shut down everything just was a snowball effect. And I'm finally feel like I'm catching up. And I have missed creating this content for you guys. I have missed interacting with you guys. Honestly, I just miss y'all. I mean, I don't know. I don't even see y'all. Y'all are like looking at your radio, getting all tearful eyed and cheery eyed right now. And I'm just sitting here on the other end. I'm like wanting to be the source of that tear. If it's not happening, just muster it up. Just make me feel good a little bit, something, something, whatever. But point being is I apologize for my tardiness. I want to let you guys know that this is important to me. Sharing these stories are important to me. And you, the greater climbing and adventurous community are important to me. And so I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be sharing this with you. And I look forward to sharing more stories with you guys. Sticker Club members, gotta throw that out there. My bad, have not gotten things to you. Some of you guys should have received some things in the mail. Reach out to me, let me know if you didn't get anything. But all of you are about to be bombarded on Monday because I am going cray cray with stuff. I'm gonna put it in the mail to you guys. So first we're gonna get caught up on stickers, then some letters are going out because it's time, it's time for us to have a chat. But most importantly, listen to this chat and fall in love with the rhythm and the rhymes and three guys talking about what made them who they are. I did not, I didn't anticipate that. Okay. Yeah, I, well, we were, well, I mean, I've been basically quoting you all week and <laughs> we've been talking back and forth. And so I figured at some point in time, I was like, why not? 
That's he a, keeps calling me Dr. Dre and I blame that entirely on you. It's, it, it's because it is all on me. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I call you, Chris. You are Dr. Dre. It's, it, I suppose yeah, I'm not mad you, at it. No, man. Plus, like, <laughs> if you can't, if you're not Dr. Dre, then I can't be Eminem and I have to be Eminem. So, <laughs> awesome. you know, A, A equals B and B equals C, you know? <laughs> yeah. Where are you at right now? Uh, I'm just at like a little, a little park that's close to where I live. Um, just like hanging out, try to, I try to get myself some space so that I can talk and not be, uh, uh, not interrupted. That sounds like I have something important to say, but you know what I mean? I mean, I think everything you say is important. (laughs) Don't say that to me too many times. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm on the come up. You don't want me to turn into a Kanye West, do you? (laughs) (laughs) I'd, I'd vote for you. Uh, something tells me your family members would slap the living shit out of you if you went over that far. Oh yeah. My mom, my mom wouldn't let me live to see that day. There's no way, <laughs> no way at all. Plus Kanye lives pretty close to me. So we, we'd see each Wait, other more he, if you were oh, Kanye. Shit, that's right. Damn he's it. got that, uh, he's got that ranch. Yeah. Wait, it's right yeah. off, right off the road on the way to the boulders. Wait a minute. Kanye owns a ranch near you in Wyoming. Yeah. Why yeah. Why do you buy a ranch? It's insane. Because there's know how to ride a horse. Insane, because dude. there's no income taxes in Wyoming. Oh. That's why Kanye bought a ranch. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's huge too. Like it's really really big. Yeah, he's got two of them. The the main one uh that used to be called Monster Lake, now it's West Lake. I think he should have just kept it Monster mm-hmm. Lake. That I think that's it's a way better name. Appropriate too. Yeah. But Yeah, and he has a song I know. You know? <laughs> yeah, one of his last great songs, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was like, that song was one of, I think that was the pinnacle or like the, the last really good posse cut. You guys know when like mm-hmm. they'd, there'd be like 10 rappers on a song. Yeah. <laughs> like uh... we don't really see that anymore. But yeah, like that was the last time where you had like four or five rappers on a song and it was like, well, oh, I can't wait for Jay-Z's verse. You know, I can't wait for it. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's a lost art form for sure. Now I karaokeed that song in El Paso uh, two <laughs> two years ago. I did Jay's verse. <laughs> but I was like by yourself. <laughs> the whole no, thing? no, I couldn't pull off Nikki's verse, no matter how hard I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be that'd be a hell of an accomplishment, honestly. <laughs> so, how are you doing today, oh, man? man? How's your day been? It's uh, it's been good. I uh. I've been reading uh, this book called uh, We Make the Road by Walking, which is a lot about um, education and creating social change through education. Um, it's really cool. Like, it, it's just like these two guys that, like, you know, Miles Horton and Paolo Frieri, like, they basically, Miles Horton was like one of the underground people. He was like one of the Dr. Dre's of the civil rights movement, you know, like, he taught like Rosa Parks and MLK and people like that. And uh, yeah, it's just like these two dudes that have been doing this stuff for 50 years, talking back and forth. And I, I've just been reading it and just like making notes and trying to figure out how I can use that, you know, in what I do with climbing. Um, but yeah, it's been a, that's pretty much been my day. And then I, you know, I, I opened a bottle of wine and then uh, that's the rest of history. Uh, I was about <laughs> to say red wine or white wine. It was a red table wine. It's cause, so my, my mom, uh, she drinks, but she's, she's not like, uh, she doesn't like bitter 
wines, you know, so I opened a, like a table wine. It's a real sweet wine. And I, you know, I had like maybe a glass, but I mostly opened it for her. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I like all kinds of, I mean, I'll drink everything. I mean, I, I probably my favorite thing I love is, is whiskey, but you know, I like wine. I like beer. I like everything. Oh, I was about to say, uh, Chris and I polished off half a bottle of bourbon and whiskey blend this week. Yeah. Well, the rest of it's yeah, gone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bethany made yeah, quick work man. of that last night. Damn. Hey, yeah, question. Man, I'm so envious. Question yeah, for you. Up? Are you, mm-hmm. are you a Tribe Called Quest fan? We've never really talked about hip hop. Oh. I don't know how that's even possible, oh my. but we haven't really. Wait, wait we really haven't? <laughs> yeah, not really. I That's find, wild. I find uh, that really odd. It, it, I don't know. Maybe because we've always talked about climbing ideas and the hip hop thing has kind of always just been, we've always done it separate. Like we've always talked about either our music or like when we're in person, we're usually talking about climbing stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I love tribe. Like that was, um, I think, and, and, and I'm ashamed to say I didn't grow up on tribe. Like I, I probably started listening to them when I was 18 years old. But it was what, like what it was around was that? that time. Uh, it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was. It was. It was right around the time that I like. It was about like two years before that. I was. I had gotten sick and saturated of the way rap was then. Like I yep. stopped watching the BET Awards and like I was just like rap is done. Like I was just so <laughs> over it. But. Uh, so I was kind of like going backwards a little bit and, uh, and I love tribe so much because they had, I mean, obviously they have a huge jazz influence, so it was just way more musical and way more, um, it felt uh, way, I don't know, a lot more artistic to me. And obviously like their lyrics are really good, but I just really appreciated how musical they were. Yeah. You know, they used real instruments, like had jazz influence. It was, yeah. So that was my introduction to them was just a disillusionment with, with hip hop's current state. Yeah, totally. Uh, have you read the book, go ahead in the rain notes to a tribe called quest? Uh, uh-uh. it's so dope. I just started reading it yesterday and I can hardly put it down. It's like, it's this dude from Columbus, Ohio. And he talks about the story of like how he discovered tribe and how he engaged with it. And mm-hmm. he sort of relates it to, being black in America and, you know, oscillates between telling the history of tribe, his relationship to it. And then he writes love letters to the members, like all throughout the book, every few, every few chapters, he writes another love letter to the members, each individual member. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's so fucking beautifully written. I was sitting here today reading it and it really made me want to write the dude a letter. Like, on actual Dang. paper with an actual pen. <laughs> That's so dope. Yeah. I'm going to write him a That's letter really for cool. sure. The author of the book or tribe called quest. The author of the book, his name. And I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to totally butcher this. It's Hanif Abdurraqib, I think. Um, You'll have to send me that book, like that title at some point. Yeah. I'll send you a photo of it. It's, it's amazing. Just the, one of the coolest books I've ever read. Man. Mario's going to send you a photo right now. Oh, dope, dope. Uh, I, uh, I think one people, one thing people don't realize is that, you know, uh, at least I didn't realize it until a little while ago that 
those dudes still make music. Like I was listening to Danny Brown the other day mm-hmm. and I can't remember what song it was that I really liked, but it turned out that Q-Tip had produced it. Q-Tip's like, one of oh, the best like producers that. in hip hop, in my opinion. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And he's got so much, ra- like, I feel like people just know him for, for that sound, but yeah, like it was, I wish I could, I think it was Dirty Laundry by Danny Brown, but mm-hmm. that Q-Tip had produced it. And it was just like, I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, that's not what I, that's, I would have never guessed that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's out here. He, he has not stopped. Yeah. Tip is brilliant, man. He, mm-hmm. I took, I took Drew Mack to see, uh, Nas performing Illmatic in Detroit. Oh man. On the, <laughs> on the 20th anniversary of Illmatic. And, oh man. And when, when the song One Love came on, which Q-Tip produced, it was mm-hmm. like, I've never quite felt anything like that in my chest. And I, and I grew up in the era of like big booming car systems, mm-hmm. but, I've, but I've never felt anything like the bass from One Love in my chest from that night. So crazy. Dang. Dude, I, I can't even imagine. I bet Drew was losing his shit. He Drew lost his damn mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't say I blame him. Yeah, like that record, um, I knew it was a really good record, but I, I remember when I watched, um, shoot, what's that show on Netflix that, that like, that tells the history of hip hop really quickly? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, um, I can't remember the name I, of it. I, uh, Google. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, though, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, like just the way the history of that album and just how at the time it was basically the hip hop justice league of producers came together and they had this like Superman of rap, you know, like uh, this unprecedented talent of, of lyric, lyrical ability. And they just like, I mean, that's why when you listen to that album now, it just, it's, it's probably, I don't know if there's such thing as a perfect hip hop album, but it's, um, it's pretty damn close. It's, it's pretty, really good. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. It's in my, <laughs> I've been gradually collecting my top 10 on vinyl and I definitely, mm-hmm. I definitely have that one. So definitely in my top 10. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if I've ever really thought about, man, it would, I've, I've obviously thought about it. Never mind. It would be really hard for me to pick my top. I was going to say, of course you've thought time. about what are your top 10. Yeah. <laughs> How it's could just you not? hard to decide, you know? <laughs> it is. It's really hard. It's just, like I can pick five of them uh, immediately. And then I start debating yeah. the other five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, uh, you know, like, I mean, yeah, there's some things that will, that will always, like for me, I think, yeah, Illmatic and like college dropouts always going to be one of Mm -hmm. the first ones I think of. Um, And then like, I think the cool by Lupe Fiasco is another one. Oh wow. That That one's good. It's so, so like to me, it's so timeless. I, I love that album. And then, and then once I get out of those, like those, right. uh, Well, that's a, that's food and liquor, but low key, I think that that also, that also kind of could be up there. I think for me, the cool was the reason I say the cool is because number one, it's an incredible album. I do think it's impeccable, but it was also, it also came to me at that time. I alluded to when I was becoming like 
fed up with the way hip hop in general was. And Lupe was such a, a swing to the other side of that, where he not only had really intelligent lyrics and, and good production, but he also just talked about a lot of things. Like he was the first time that I had to like look up what he was talking about. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he talks a lot of political stuff and a lot of very obscure things. I was like, man, what the hell is this? And he was like the first hip hop teacher that I ever had, mm. you know? Oh. Um, so that album has a lot of sentimental value to me because it was because of that. Yeah. I think we all like connect at least, you know, the, the music lovers out there connect specific albums or specific songs to specific times in their lives. That's definitely mm-hmm. true for me. Like the, the five I can name, like mm-hmm. right immediately, these five will never be knocked off the list are all connected to really important times in my life. And actually most of them are connected mm-hmm. to Dr. Dre, strangely. Nice. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. Full yeah. You circle. see, you see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Four, four of the five are Dre albums. It's funny you guys say that because Damn. Uh, Dev and I was talking, you and I were talking yesterday. No, was it yesterday? I don't remember when I was driving, but it was just a long blur. Uh-huh. But uh, we were talking to yeah. like, 2 a.m. in the morning, but I was telling you on that song Pearl, uh, that one little sample that you did, like, I remember listening to it and I got, I literally felt like I was thrown back in high Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. and I swear to you, I could like (laughs) smell the scent of whatever they use to clean the hallways. But I feel like smell, smell and smell and sound does that to you. Like they're the only two things that will, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, transport you to another place. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. that was just a really happy time and a happy place in my life. And I was actually thinking about it later on after you and I got off the phone, but that was during, um, that was like during the height of my indoor track and field season. So we, we, we were winning, so yeah. it was good. So I just remember <laughs> doing that because we would walk down, we would hide, uh, boom boxes in our lockers. And these are like the old cheap Sony ones, uh-huh. not the full out like ghetto blasters, but the, the <laughs> yeah, smaller well, one and we would just like put the cds in there or tapes and we would still record tapes because the thing is is you couldn't lay cd players sideways and let them play at that time yeah i remember yep. so we would still record mixtapes mm-hmm. and just put the tape in there and we would just open up the locker and hit play and then when security came by we would just turn it off and close the locker and go between class <laughs> i've got a really great story about something like that um when I was, I was in high school, I must've been a senior and I got a car, this VW Beetle that was rainbow colored. It was like red, then a gold stripe, blue stripe, green stripe. And then the back was metallic gold. <laughs> oh, wow. And, Holy shit. and I put four fifteens in the back of it. Took the back seat How out. How did you? Okay. Four fifteen. Yeah. You yeah. were rap. Are you sure you're did not you that bad? The back tires? Yeah. And then two oh, two amps driving the four speakers, and they had just passed an, a noise ordinance law in Cincinnati. Yeah. And it was like a five hundred dollar ticket or something if you got caught with your your stereo up over a certain decibel level. And all the cops were like carrying mm-hmm. little decibel meters so they could check kids with their music. And I attached a Walkman to my amps 
because I, I didn't have a stereo in the car at all. So I just oh. attached a Walkman mm-hmm. and I would get pulled over. And this probably happened 25 or 30 times. I get pulled over. I'd unplug the Walkman, slide it under my seat. And the cop would come up to the car like your radio was awfully loud. And I was like, I don't even have a radio. And he'd, <laughs> and he'd look at my dashboard and be like, what? Well, then who was that? What's all this stuff? And I'm like, oh, this is my friend's stuff. I'm just taking it to his house. But I don't have a radio, so that wasn't me. That is, I'm not going to lie, that is some solid white boy <laughs> negotiation skills. Dude, that's Chip. That's what Dave Chappelle talks about Chip, you know, when they're like in the car. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember. Dude, that's, that's so dope. I remember being at a stoplight and this dude in a BMW had pulled up next to me and he had his system up all loud and he's looking over at me like bobbing his head, me and my little weird rainbow painted beetle. And I held up my Walkman tape deck, press play, and he couldn't hear himself anymore. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, I, I'd never had that growing up. The closest I ever put was like two tens in the back mm-hmm. of my car. But my dad bought me a car. My first car was a crown, a 1984 crown Victoria LTD. Nice. So mm-hmm. love that car to this day. <laughs> I still love that car. My mom was like, you are going to buy one of those things again. But I remember <laughs> having two tens in the back, a little amp just running it. And it was never crazy loud just because I just, it wasn't my jam, but we called it the body trunk. And what we would do is real dumb. People would crawl in my trunk as many people as possible. They would close the hood and then they would play the music. Why? I don't know why people (laughs) wanted to do it. It was never my idea, but then you'd hear people come out and just like head rattling. Mm -hmm. But it reminds me that that was, I don't know. I don't think you can even do that anymore. Back in the day, we used to line our cars all up in like in a semicircle and play music and we'd all turn into the same radio station and just play it really loud. But Mm. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that in high school parking lots anymore. Yeah, probably not. not. (laughs) Damn, man, y'all are making me uh, jealous. I definitely did not have any experience like that growing up. I mean, my, my first car was a 92 Volkswagen. Uh, but it was a Jetta and I had some little bitty speakers in there. I always wanted, and I still do really want to, to outfit, you know, my Jeep or something with some, with some big ass, like, like some 15s or like, um, some huge speakers. That's always been something I've kind of wanted. Um, and you know, I kind of think about it the way that I think about, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like I've always felt, I mean, Mario knows this because we've talked about it, but I struggle a lot with my racial identity and some things I don't do because I don't think I'm black enough to do them. But then some things I don't do because I don't want to fit the stereotype. Like yeah. I'll give you an, a, a really, a really perfect example. Yesterday I bought myself some gold teeth and I'm so, so hyped to wear them. And, and I never bought them before. Always wanted them ever since I was a kid. And for like, 15 years, I was like, I don't think I'm black enough to have full teeth. Like, I shouldn't buy those. And then, and now, like, these last five years, I'm like, well, I don't want all these white people I'm surrounded by to, to right. see me fit into the stereotype of a black dude with gold teeth. 
So fuck it. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe because I've been locked in the house since March, but I'm like, I'm gonna shine on these haters. You know, let me get my gold teeth. I'm gonna. My next climbing album is gonna. I was gonna be me cheesing and, and yeah, ten carat gold. That shit's not. Mm-hmm. It's expensive, but it's going to be worth it. <laughs> oh, this is going to be <laughs> I love amazing. It. It's, make sure you don't mumble through the whole thing. That's the only thing with gold teeth. I've heard people rapping and I'm always yeah. just like, are your teeth falling out? Mm-hmm. And is that why it is <laughs> yeah. so screwed? Can you, can you mumble well, rap? It, Ooh, that's. <laughs> can I mumble rap? Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I certain I certainly can. I mean, you, you know, Chris, because you've listened to my climbing music i'm pretty good at imitating people. yeah you're really good um, at it so if I, if I really wanted to i could and uh me and me and uh, my best friend that uh, we, we grew up rapping and making music together we would always have this running joke that was like semi-serious like man one day we should just say fuck it and just make some dumbass mumble rap music mm-hmm. and just make millions of dollars <laughs> you know like cause we we both yeah yeah like we're just like we, we both are very artistic and we want to make, we don't, we've always wanted to make music that was cool, that we like, that just, you know, and if other people like it, that's great too. But it's tempting because sometimes you just want to be like, I mean, I just want to make some money. You know, I'm, it'd be way easy to just throw together, you know, a beat at 120 beats per minute, throw some hi-hats on it, you yeah. know, yeah. check, fit the auto-tune on, <clears throat> um, drink a little bit, so I flare, and then I'd be good. I mean, so yeah, uh, what's stopping you from making a million and buying your house at the red? Uh, <laughs> this weird sense of pride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go ahead as the only other black man in this conversation right now. You need to let that shit go. <laughs> like, seriously, let that shit go. I mean, but no, I get it. I get it. You like you kind of want to. Like, at that point, I think you like it's like it's one of those weird things where especially black and brown, you're like, okay, I have a standards that I want to live at. I want to have a standards. I want people to see me at, but at the same time, yeah, I would like to make enough money where I say, fuck all y'all. And I don't have to believe about that standards and I could just be long gone. And I don't think I would care anymore. I mean, I'm like, you know, just yeah. kind of putting it out there. And I think there are plenty of people who have done that, but I, I, mm-hmm. I get your dilemma, but I'm also trying to tell you like, you know, you should just shine on people as you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You might yeah, have to. I, I just. Uh, you might have to mm-hmm. get some like temporary face tats or something to be able to make a successful mumble rap album. That's, though. that's the thing. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know. I don't want to mess with codeine. You know, maybe I'll just like have some grape Kool Aid and I'll say that it's lean. <laughs> dude, <laughs> you know, dude, but, just some dry erase, <laughs> wet erase markers. We got you. Yeah, I. <laughs> I can't do it. My mouth just doesn't even move in the right ways to be able to mumble rap. I can't, I cannot. You, it, <laughs> I mean, you just have to pretend like you've done years of, of, of psychedelic drugs and like, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't even really, I, I can't really verbalize what you have to do, but like, you know, it's like a headspace. At least I, this is me coming from a place of imitating it the headspace you get into um but yeah i think uh, i think about that a lot mario honestly the so like my roommates in oregon that i live with they would always tell me all the time that basically what you just told me is like like 
just make a song. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, cause I would always tell them like, I don't want to, I don't want to muddy up the art of hip hop. You know, like I came from a, an era or I grew up in an era of hip hop. I feel like that was the waning bit of like, it meant something to be talented, you know? Yeah. And if you were going to be a rapper, it wasn't just because you wanted to make money. And that's the other thing too, is like, if I'm going to be a rapper, I want it to be for a reason, you know, like I want it to be because I have something to say, not just because I want to make some money. So that's why I go back and forth with it. But sometimes they also would say this too, is like, you would have a lot more time to, to make the stuff you want. If you just did a, Shake that Laffy Taffy or whatever the kids listen to these days. I don't know. Um, <laughs> whatever the kids just listen one, to these one days. Time, <laughs> one time, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I get. I say that, but I, I know I'm not like old. But you know what I mean. I feel kind of out of touch. Yeah, with, I'm like. Uh, I'm with, like. Says the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I feel disillusioned with it. Well, and that's not true either. Because recently, I've been a little bit more like I like modern hip hop and I just kind of accepted that you know music is going to change because I definitely used to be one of those like oh I'll only listen to like you know Wu-Tang or Kanye or Lupe and then all the new stuff is trash but really all of it is it's like it's the same as it was 20 years ago like half of it is trash and half of it's not yeah you know it's always going to be that way yeah it's just gotten harder to wade through at least for me like the there's a technological barrier for me because I, mm-hmm. because I don't listen to music a lot on Spotify or, you know, I don't even, mm-hmm. I don't even know the terms to use because I don't know how people find music these days. My, my wife is always like, she'll put on a playlist and it'll be some boom bap shit that I've never heard. And I'm like, where are you finding mm-hmm. this? I, I've never heard this. It sounds like my era of music. Where did you find it? And she, she'll tell me and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Oh my gosh. I don't know how to find music anymore. Devin, do you, (laughs) Devin, I know for me, I always find that the only way I'm relevant on music is because I coach kids. The kids keep me up to date with everything. And Mm -hmm. when I I had a teenager, teenage daughter, I could stay up on it. But now that she's gone on her own, I don't you just get have the, to like walk into schools and be like, Hey, can, can you guys hook me up? Let me know what's going on. That's what I need to do. Uh, Listen to the teenagers. They'll let you do that in Lander. Probably none of the Lander kids have ever even heard of hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> there's gotta be that oh, yeah, one my- white kid. And there's gotta be that one white kid. Oh, you who's know, like listening to you like, know you know, like still listening to Biggie's album. There's a couple couple rappers in Lander actually. It's, oh, it's really? pretty cool. One one native dude who's um or native person, I should say, who's really talented. Been around a while mm-hmm. or these new people? Um their name is Big Wind River mm-hmm. and mm. oh, I can't think of the name of their mixtape. Um it might just be Water something about water. Um, but actually really brilliant. Um, they led the protests in Lander after the George Floyd and when the movement started picking up steam and, and that's kind of where I got hip to their music, which made me really happy to see that it was out there. And there's also a a couple Uh of white kids I know of who rap in Lander. So it's out there. Uh Uh, yeah, I mean, hell, if there's a, if there's rappers that come out of Portland, I feel like rappers can come from anywhere, honestly. That's right. <laughs> I was, uh, 
Y- y'all know, uh, you guys know Amine. Uh, he's I, a newer rapper. He's out of Portland. I don't. Um, he's a, gosh, what are some songs that he has? If he wasn't in uh, the source pre-2005, then I don't know about it, Kevin. <laughs> oh, my God. He Well, he was on, I mean, uh, he was on the, he did a song on the Spider-Man soundtrack too. That's how, that's how you, that was the who's who, that's the new source, you know, mm. like the, the spider, the recent Spider-Man movie that had, I feel like it had all the new rappers. It had, it had a uh, him, it had juice world and ski mask and all of these, all the new rappers were in, in a post Malone, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, post Malone's not new, new, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a new school. And, See, and post Malone that, is probably kinda, the newest rapper I know of. Yeah, I mean you're you're not totally lost. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's the only one. Before him, it's probably Action Bronson. <laughs> do you, do people these days even know who Action Bronson? <laughs> I don't think so. You know I have this like confused face, so I don't think I know who this is. He's not new. Um, he's been no, around no, a he's while. not new. He <clears throat> he uh, gosh, he's been around since like two thousand. I almost want to say like 2010, 2011. That's that's probably which, about uh, right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really funny. He actually has a show now. Yeah, um, like, I don't know what it is with rappers and cooking, cooking but he yeah. has a cooking show. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, a chef before he was a rapper. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that that would make sense. But yeah, I was like, what is it with rappers nowadays and cooking? Yeah, I mean, I mean how, like, Snoop yeah. did it with Martha Stewart, so it's I true. mean that did set the yeah. precedent. It's true. And, and Two Chains, I think, has a cooking book. Really? Which I, I still need. To, <laughs> I think he does. I'm like, what is it called? Sure microwave recipes for one? That's amazing. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh man. I, I mean, I don't think there's uh, Two Chains has had his fair share, <laughs> but I've I've never been a fan of much of his music, so. I'm not mad at the hustle I, though. I, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate Two Chains for what he is. Like, I think that, and that's the other thing um, that I realized, which kind of makes me appreciate modern rap more, is that I feel like for a long time I was judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't judge Two Chains by his ability to weave together literary devices and tell a complex tale of human emotions but you can judge him <laughs> by his like really like almost joking, corny yeah. punchlines. They're like corny on purpose. Like when he's like, uh, even on that chance song, no problem. When he's like, I'm so hot, me and God dappin'. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. like, <clears throat> it's not supposed to be deep. And, and when I realized that I was like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think this is pretty funny, but yeah, like I can appreciate him for what he is, but he's not like, it's like rap. I mean, it really is like rap candy, you know, like bubble gum. Like I'm not going to get any sustenance out yeah. of it, but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it yeah. tastes, tastes good. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. I think that's valuable to recognize, you know, and I think you kind of have to do that in all areas of your life. There are going to be things that just have more depth and more substance. And there are going to be things that are really just there for you to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was, yeah, when absolutely. I was in high school, it was like, um, the low end theory came out, I think when I was Man. a sophomore in high school and 
Uh, Doggy Style came out when I was a senior. Can you hear that? That's my car, my bad. Okay, no worries. Um, And then The Chronic came out when I was a junior, so it was like just this amazing few years of music that was super enjoyable and had a lot of substance. Man. But, but then, you know, that disappeared for a long time in hip hop. And, and, but I, at the time I was going to the clubs a lot. So I'm like, I, I will absolutely dance to this. Like I'm not going to bump it in my car. I'm not going to listen to it in headphones, but mm-hmm. I will come to the club and dance to it every night that I can. Man. Yeah. So. I think, I think that's like a perfect illustration of it is like, and that's the other thing too, is I think like the the way we listen to music and like the reasons we listen to it have changed. So like, I mean, it only makes sense that the music would, would change too with it. And, you know, maybe our reasons for listening to music haven't changed, but, but the worlds have. Yep. You know, so. Yep. And I don't need club music anymore. Like I'm not going to the clubs, so. Yeah. I don't need yeah, it anymore, exactly. but, but I still do need music with substance. So that's what I yeah. try to continue listening to. And I, yeah. And I still, I still need music to wake up all my white neighbors on Saturdays <laughs> when I go on that drive. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. White people, I'm sorry, but I love, I love turning my music up super loud and rolling through white neighborhoods. I don't know what it is. It's almost like a reverse, like, like you, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a reflex. I can't help it. Well, uh, I, I'll just like, <laughs> what'd you say? No, I was about to say, it's kind of like my re- same reason why I like to collect, collect Ku Klux Klan and racist paraphernalia. I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be doing this shit. And I'm not even supposed to be in your neighborhood. But fuck all y'all. <laughs> Hello, and I hope you have been enjoying this episode as much as I have been reliving this moment. Chris and Devin are just amazing people. And another set of amazing people I want to introduce you to is the people at beyondclothing.com. Beyond Clothing has been my sponsor for over five years. They have supported me since the very beginning of me venturing out into this adventurous world, trying to travel, climb, and do things. Their clothing has kept me warm, dry, helped me perform in every situation possible, and I want to share that with you. Go to beyondclothing.com, spend a little money, save a little coin, support this podcast. Paul, Rick, Natalie, everybody in the office. They're friends and family of mine, and they will take care of you as you were me. So take a moment, gear yourself up for anywhere you want to go in this big, beautiful globe that we live in. I am so excited to introduce our newest partner in Sense and Suffers podcast, Organic Climbing. They make crash pads, chalk buckets, chalk bags. If you've been in the climbing game for a little while, you know who these people are. And I am so excited that they are getting behind this podcast to share real, genuine stories of the souls that exist within our beautiful, adventurous community. So Organic, thank you so much. So what does this mean? Sticker Club members, we've got some sweet, sweet, sweet gear coming up 
in the upcoming raffles. So make sure you stay tuned. And guys, you need to remember that Tension Climbing is supporting Sense and Suffers podcast. They are the premier people to get all your training equipment from. If you are trying to send your route, if you're trying to get your prod, trying to warm up at the crag, you need to go to tensionclimbing.com. This is the one-stop shop between organic, beyond clothing, and tension climbing. You need no more. Maybe some rock climbing shoes, but I'm going to let you guys figure that out on your own. All right, so let's get back to this episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you're not a member of the Sticker Club, we're waiting for you to join the fam. You, you for real do that? Oh, yeah. I have a Ku Klux Klan handbook. I have a patch. I have like a bunch of stuff, a couple letterheads. It's, yeah. Oh, no. Everyone's always like, aren't you ashamed of having this? I'm like, no, this is like, you know. Like, Why would you be ashamed? I'm like, it's like, you know, I figured out all the secrets to the Masons. Now I just, I'm, I'm just keeping them to myself. <laughs> That's so interesting. I would never think like you should be ashamed of collecting. You, no. you didn't start the Ku Klux Klan. You know, no. I would just think I just wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want that stuff in my house. It's almost like a oh no, like a it's definitely on my wall. Thing. I don't know. It's definitely on my wall. When you walk <laughs> you into got my it house. like above the fireplace, <laughs> right next People to a college dropout. Uh, I should put that right next to it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, Audrey, all the time is just like. You know, we should probably move this to somewhere more discreet. And I'm like, they weren't discreet for how many years? So I don't got to be. Absolutely no. It's also an interesting (laughs) conversation starter because I love it. It is. When people come over, they'll just be like, they'll look at it and you'll see they get so uncomfortable and they they can't decide whether they actually want to bring it up that it's there or they just want to pretend that it doesn't exist. And if I know they're super uncomfortable and it doesn't exist. I kind of just like, what do you think of all of our art on the wall? And my wife is looking at me like, I swear to God, I cannot take you anywhere. Wow. But I love it. (laughs) Well, like on that note too, that's, I will say that messing, messing with, with people, with, with white people is probably one of my favorite things. And it's really bad. It's a bad vice. I know, but I can think of one time when I was in high school, we had to do, we had to do this presentation in our humanities class where we, we all had to bring a product that was at the world's fair. And, um, me and my partner, we chose to do, uh, aunt Jemima and uncle Ben. And we we were both black and, uh, we both dressed like the characters. And, um, I, I can't even remember what I said, but I swear I, I was telling them the story of uncle Ben or whatever. And I said something, I said some sort of race joke or something like that. And uh, like something they'd be uncomfortable laughing at. And I don't remember how, but I got them to laugh at it. And then when they all started laughing, I was like, it's not funny. Like with a straight face. And they all, even the teacher, they were like, oh shit. And they just like, they clammed up so quick. And I just bust out laughing. (laughs) Like you guys chill out. They're just jokes. Oh my God. It's, it's so terrible. I'm sure that all of my white friends and anyone who is listening to this probably hates me right now. But I'm just, it's in the past, you know. I can't change it now, but I can still laugh. It, no, my my with fucking with white people is still very much in my future to come. So I'm gonna call it's that so now. So great, but like I do want to give this. I mean, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. I just, I just saying. I think it's great. Go ahead. 
No, I do want to give the caveat of like, this is also people who can't take a joke. And I think that's like, I want to be very clear about that too. It's not like just messing with you because you're white. That's an asshole move, but yeah. um, yeah. But like, it's just like, I don't like it. I think you and I have like talked about this. Like just, you got to loosen up. And like, if you can't just take a joke or you can't defuse a really uncomfortable situation with humor, then like, what are we doing? Like, this is getting like really awkward and this is getting real tense. And it's just Mm -hmm. messing with people who are unwilling to take a joke in any way, shape or form. And even if they don't know it's a joke, the fact of the matter that when like, and I, I don't know, this is what I've always thought that they thought is like when they finally get the joke, they feel like they're in on an inside secret and really in real reality. Now this is just the way shit is. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. That's how I look at it. So like, I want to be very clear. Like if I'm messing with you, it's because I love you. Well, I'll say as, right, as, right. as the white person in the room, I'll say sometimes we're just stupid and we just don't know any better. <laughs> I, when I was in like fourth grade or something, I had this friend named Shamay Harris and she was light skinned black woman. And I was like genuinely trying to understand things about her. And I'm a fourth grader and I asked her, do you get tan? What happens in the sun? And she told me she gets lighter in the sun. And I believed that until I was about 25. (laughs) That's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, wow. I wish I had had the hindsight when I was growing up to do stuff like that. (laughs) I can't remember the stuff I said. I know I said some oddball stuff, but I cannot remember. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, but I mean, and it's it's good to hear just that you can appreciate that because I think that, like, I hope that when people see, like, what me and Mario are trying to say is that we're trying to break down barriers, you know? Like, I feel like I try to use. I try to use humor to disarm people and especially with serious topics. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of white people that I run into that can't take those kind of jokes don't really understand that. Like there's a, there's a power difference, you know, like if I'm making a joke about race versus them, it's not quite the same. Like I I can give you an example that has happened to me personally in the last like two weeks. I, I remember I did like one of my posts and I put a, the hashtag white people on it, you know, spelling it like this and that. Mario knows what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah. the when you spell it. So I put that on there and I was talking about like that. And, and I said something about the N word, but I was, I, it, they were mutually exclusive thoughts. I just said white people like jokingly. And I remember someone commented on it saying like, how can you like talk about equality when you use the N word and you like throw, you insult white people by saying white people. And I'm like, okay, well, firstly, I, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but white people and the N-word are not nearly the level, same level of gravity. <laughs> like, right. like one of them, one of them has history that goes back forever. And one of them, I think just got invented like 10 years ago. And secondly, like, if you really feel that, like, how could you possibly feel that hurt about white people? It doesn't, it doesn't oppress you. You, you can't like, you could just like log off the internet and it'll go, the pain will go away almost immediately. Right. You, know? you can opt out. But like you can, yeah, you can choose to be like, I'm not going to listen to that. 
Um, but like, I, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm not saying this in the smartest way, but I just feel like I, like, that's something that I run into a lot or, or have in the past with white people is that they think that it's, they think that black people making jokes about race and white people making jokes about race are equitable. And right. it's not because of the, the power difference. Right. Yeah, there's not a, uh, what there's do you guys not think a whole, of that? I agree with you entirely. There's not a whole system and structure behind the insidiousness of, or let me, let me rephrase that. There's not an insidious system and structure behind the hashtag Mm -hmm. white people, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there, there is a long history, a long insidious system and structure behind the use of the N word. So not even, Mm -hmm. not even sort of close to the same thing. Yeah. And no, I definitely agree with both of you. And I think, to kind of like piggyback on what you're talking about, like when we're making these jokes and I also think this is also, I think this is sometimes a weird and Devin, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but I've definitely like made some racial jokes, but then I have those Mm -hmm. one white friends that I know that are around me that are like, I mean, they are my blood brother. Like I've known them so long. These are my comrades in arms and they'll make the joke. And then I then there have to explain to another person that like I've given this person permission in my life. This person is close enough to be able to say that. But then you have, yeah. I've had people get on me. They're like, well, you know, if I can't say it, I can't, what, what is it? What is it? If I can't say it, you know, then you really shouldn't allow him to say it. And, and, I, and the, the best way I've ever said it is I'm like, you know, I was like, Does, I was like, do you have a nickname for your girlfriend? And people were like, yeah. I'm like, what is it? And let's just say it's sugar baby. What if I just walked up and started calling her that? And he's like, that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't know her like that. I was like, point mm-hmm. being. And I think the thing is, yeah. is, you know, and I think that's where people, I think that's the thing is people immediately jump to get offended. And what they're not realizing mm-hmm. is, it's like, there is a certain level of trust and relationship that is built between two people having this conversation. And if I'm not, and if I don't have that relationship with you and I am joking you with you, this is actually an olive branch because I cannot have mm-hmm. you, you cannot joke around in that way because if there was other black people around and you joked around that, they beat the shit out of you. And then yeah, vice, right. vice versa, if, you know, if you, if I say some wild ass shit to you, you know, and I'm in Starbucks, I'm going to get arrested, you know? So like, that's just how that shit goes. <laughs> and so like, but like, that's just, and you're right. Like there's a power struggle, but like, let's just like lay it out there. I don't think people understand that like this humor is a way to diffuse the situation because, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've said this to you before uh, and I've said this in other podcasts is, but all racist, all racist white people that live in the middle of nowhere, love the funny Eddie Murphy, black guy. Mm-hmm. They want, mm-hmm. they want Eddie Murphy, you know, leather pants and jacket, you know, and they mm-hmm. want coming to America and that's what they want, you know? And the problem is, is like, mm-hmm. I think we, and I'll say this, we, as in, you know, black men associating with like he, him and black and male. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't know the person, I know for me, that is the only go-to defense that we can have to like break down this quick barrier. If I'm not trying to break the barrier and especially if we're in a situation like that, like in the middle of nowhere, I'm not trying to break the barrier down to be your friend. I'm just trying to break the barrier down enough. So you don't think I'm a threat. So when I start running my ass to get out of there quickly and packing my shit up, yeah. you don't, it's not something like weird. It's just like, Oh, okay. He's just kind of moving on. And you know, ultimately 
you know, depending on the situation, I've definitely had to make the jokes where I'm, the jokes are towards me and black people and giving them power in their own mind. And what they realize, I don't, you know, what they don't realize is, you know, I'm just like, you know, mind fucking them. Part of my French here, but you know, there's no other way to say it. And I think that like yeah. what people don't understand is like, these are learned behaviors. These are learned right. coping offense mechanism, because if there was another way to have this conversation, we would be doing that too. We would be doing that on top of what we're doing. But in my experience, I don't know any other way to break this conversation down unless a white person comes up to me and is like, Hey, I want to have some real talk with you. I want to be uncomfortable. I want to do that. I'm like, okay, then let's go into it. But like that shit doesn't happen. Right. Like, it does. It does now more than ever. But like, but in reality mm-hmm. of the situation, like it, it just, it doesn't happen. Like no one wants to, no one wants to willingly get uncomfortable just to answer their own question. Mm-hmm. Unless they, unless they're ha- right. having a, you know, a, I guess like a crisis of faith or a crisis of, a crisis of reality. Yeah, which I think a lot of people are right now. Yeah, and the thing that happened to you, Devin, with with somebody commenting on your post, you know, how can you say this and then do this? Well, because Mm -hmm. you're human, frankly, you know, not a single one of us is perfect. And, you know, I got a lot of the same sort of pushback from the Daniel Woods episode. People like, well, how can you say this? But you made these songs way back when that, you know, use the word bitch or the word hoe or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just pointing this out. I'll be happy to point that out too and talk about it and, you know, discuss Mm -hmm. the thing, but none of us are perfect. We're going to all make mistakes. That doesn't mean we shouldn't call it out when the whole world is making a giant mistake. Yeah. That's because people want to be reactionary. That's because people want to be able to like, like explode against things. Cause I mean, if you look at people's response to things like YouTube's, like different things, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard, but like there is this, uh, mixed set of twins. I think they're called the conservative twins on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of my best friends, uh, he was like, Hey man, I want to know what you think about these two. And these two conservative mixed twins, uh, you know, uh, they are, you know, all four T45. They're supporting him. him. They support all things super conservative, you know, and like, like the big thing with this is, is like, I was like, dude, like these guys have over 2.3 million followers. This is, they, they, this is a job for them. Their job is to get people to be reactionary. Their job is to get people Mm -hmm. to explode. And the problem is, is because so many people with news and everything like that, like they make their living off of that. That's what bumps their metrics. Mm -hmm. I think that's just like how people are responding. Cause once again, learn behavior. That's what the other half has been learning. Like you have to respond kind of like you, or maybe not you have, but you get the right to respond very explosively, very rash. You get the right to challenge the situation right there. You have that right because you are, you are you. Right. And that's not the truth. Right. And yeah, I just, I also think a lot of it too, like, First of all, I think uh, just like thinking about as a musician, Chris, that um, we we have the, the gift and the curse of uh, of a living journal that everyone gets to see. You know, so people get right. to see how we were 
10 or 15 years ago, so they can call out. But I'm sure that everybody on earth has some memories or ideas that they had when they were 15 years younger that they wouldn't want out. But we, because we choose to put our stuff out there, everyone can see those things, you know, to some degree. And I used to think it was a bad thing, but now I think it's a good thing because you can see my journey, you know, like Jay-Z, he, like you can see his journey from uh, from you think you think that he him and Beyonce are listening to uh, Big Pimpin' together and he's like yeah like <laughs> I don't need these hoes you know like do you think that that's what's happening probably not you probably know not. so yeah. he's grown clearly and the other thing is like I think people that do that that will point to somebody like you and, and say like well you've made mistakes is because they don't know how else to engage in the conversation. Like Mm -hmm. they're too scared. Mm -hmm. They're too scared to put themselves out there and they're too scared to be rejected. And especially when it comes to race, I think there's like a good portion of white people that want to do something, but feel like they can't for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And the only thing they know they can do is virtue signal by pointing at somebody else. So that's their way of feeling like, ah, I, I helped racism by canceling another white person good job yeah. or not Devin it's not me but you know what I mean good job me for <laughs> for pointing out someone else's flaws instead of confronting my own that's my take on it anyway yeah no I think that's exactly right and you know hip-hop you know you brought up this this idea of the, our music being out there for forever mm-hmm. hip-hop's hip-hop's got its own like messes you know, it's extremely, yeah. extremely misogynistic and mm-hmm. homophobic mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. it's got this, this history, you know, and, and I was definitely a part of that history. You know, I've used some words I certainly wouldn't use now, uh, homophobic Same. words, even though I didn't, Same. didn't feel like I was a homophobic person, I was still playing right into that trap of promoting homophobia, you know? And yeah, and I'm not going to blame hip hop for that. It, that was my fault. I made the choice and now I can make the choice to do something different. And, um, my friend Brittany, who you've talked to a little bit, Devin is, mm-hmm. she's going to come out to Lander and we're going to, I'm going to like force her to listen to all my old music. And then, then we're just going to go through it and talk about all of the problems like all the, oh, all the, the things good. I said about women, the things I, you know, if I used homophobic words, all of the, yeah. the issues, I want to have those conversations, you know, and, and I don't want to do it for anybody else's benefit other than maybe those people can learn that we're all going to make mistakes and figuring mm-hmm. out how to turn that around and, and do something different is the, is the better way, not just pointing out every mistake you see. You, see that's, I, I love that. Sorry. Go, go ahead, Mario. Uh, I, was, I just, uh, I have a question for both a, of you too, though. Uh-huh. So you guys point up a good point and like, I don't, <clears throat> I, I'm just a consumer of hip hop. I don't follow it as much as I probably should. But do you feel like the state of hip hop is actually shifting to be less homophobic, less all these things or is like, nah, I mean, it it still is what it is. It certainly has over, over Mm -hmm. a lot of years. And 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in a better place now than it ever has been mm-hmm. for sure. Um, both with, I would say more with homophobia than with being misogynistic. I mean, it's definitely made strides in being misogynistic, but it still is extremely misogynistic. misogynistic. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think like, I think that hip hop has gotten to a, a place where it's more okay to talk about your feelings, you know, yeah, like yeah. And that I think started with like the Kanye Cuddy era really, where mm-hmm. people really started talking about how they feel on records. And mm-hmm. also, um, like, I, I don't know if people think that, that like the, I mean, there's more and more rappers that are coming out as, as different sexual orientations, but hip hop has always played with, um, with gender identity to a point. I don't. I mean, Chris definitely. Actually, you both would definitely remember. Like, y'all remember when Busta Rhymes would show up to like the the um, uh, like award shows and stuff, and he was dressed like he had these crazy ass dresses and like. Mm-hmm. There's even some yeah. groups back in the '80s. I can't remember, but they would. Hip hop's always played with gender identity. They just never. I think in general, the the idea of a rapper has always been a masculine, tough person. But at the same time, they're willing to like put on dresses and bright colors and um, and be flamboyant. It, it, I don't know. It's a really weird uh, juxtaposition. But I, in my opinion, I think hip hop always played around with the idea of masculinity. It's just that they w- they weren't willing to admit it until you know like fifteen years ago <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and then there's you know there's also the issue of the the female MCs who who become popular, who make it, so to speak, end up being the like hypersexualized MCs. And, and you know, what's why is that? Why do we reward that over the Lauren Hills or the Rhapsodies? And obviously Lauren, you know, was Mm a, was, you know, she, her achievements are massive but why wasn't yeah. there a second Lauren Hill? It's not because there aren't female MCs because there are. Um, but somewhere mm-hmm. along the line, the who, whoever's in charge made the decision that we are going to reward the hypersexualized women over the rhapsodies or, you know, the other. But the same thing happens. In, yeah. That same thing happens in climbing because it's like they reward the hypersexualized, but because they want, in my opinion, they just like, it's, they want women either they want to be able to dictate the success level and they want to be able to dictate the path of that. And whether they realize it or not, that's why they put women into this box. The same thing happens with climbing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. most people expect the girl who's belaying you is to be, who's just going to clean your right. out or right. who's going to shift around your pad. Uh, and climbing is the same way to a certain extent because, you know, we just have these immediate gender roles or these gender stereotypes that we put people in, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I don't know, I, from the perspective of rap, like from a corporate structure to me thinking about it from climbing, it's just, it, it allows people to stay. It allows the people at the stop, the top to stay safe. It allows the people at the top mm-hmm. to kind of dictate what's going to happen, what's going to, what's going to move as far as music and in the world of, and in the, and in the world of climbing, I don't know. I mean, I think it's definitely changing and climbing's more open to it, but you know, I just, yeah. I, I, the thing that like you, when you said that the very first thing that came to me is that old climbing van brand, which I'm guilty of, 
because I've definitely bought it for a uh, girl before, but is Verb that old brand that yeah, was Christian super Griffiths sexualized company. Yeah. Super sexualized. And it was just like, you know, I've heard stories about that whole thing. I don't even want to go there, but, um, you know, and that's just like, I don't know. It, to me, it's just like, it's always, they, they've always been like, you can think, but you're still a little bit of property. You're allowed to think, yeah, but you're still a little bit of property. And I want to, I want to let you think just enough. I'm going to give you these yeah. five options, but what you don't see with the rest of the lights off in the room is these five options are actually one out of 25 that you're going to have to have, but I just don't want you to see the other ones. And so yeah. that's how I look at it. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you both have heard me say this before, but you know, women get the raw, get the worst raw end of the deal when it comes to anything. Mm-hmm. Black women, especially. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And, sure. and I, and I think, yeah, I think you're so spot on. I mean, everyone always like laughs when I tell them that climbing and hip hop are very similar, uh, but they really are. And mm-hmm. I think one of the ways they're similar is how they treat women as um, assets, but not agents, which is basically what you just said. Like the, yeah. you're allowed to express yourself in this way using these options. <laughs> and that's kind of it. Like we don't really want you to, and, and our, your idea of femininity is based on our masculine idea of femininity, you know? And, and I think that's true in both cultures. I think, you know, like, um, yeah, like we, and, and it's, it's tough too, because you don't want to, you don't want to say like, I'm thinking of hip hop specifically. You don't want to say that like Nicki Minaj is hypersexualized because she feels like she feels like she has to be, because maybe she wants to be right. Right. You know, yeah. like True. maybe that's her choice. Cause I know like Lil Kim is probably, I, I don't know if she's the first, but she's the first rap female rapper I can think of that was overtly hypersexual with her lyrics like she chose to write that way mm-hmm. and that's kind of what got her to catch on is like people are like oh man she's like they had never heard a female rapper before that was like nasty like that so that's what that's what got her going and that's how she wanted to be she's you know the so it's tough because it's like well yeah like i think she i don't know if she started it it's tough to say but i feel like she did and mm-hmm. you know like it um it's like you you want to honor their you want to honor everybody's choice, but you can't help but wonder like what, what, it, how different the hip hop and climbing landscape would be if we rewarded different types of people with different types of behaviors and dresses and, and, and outlooks and thoughts, you know, I wonder about that all the time. Yeah. And when the system is built differently, we have no idea what's going to happen. You know, we can theorize and we can, try to unpack it all and figure it out. But ultimately mm-hmm. what comes before helps dictate our choices in the future mm-hmm. until we really make mm-hmm. a, a conscious decision to think about it deeper and make different decisions. So, you know, maybe, maybe Lil Kim chose that because she thought that was the way. Uh, maybe she chose yeah. it because she really wanted to. Mm-hmm. same with Nikki, you know, uh, who knows? I, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but so many of us get trapped into thinking we're doing things of our own free will. When in reality, the, the situation around us dictated that this thing's going to happen. I mean, it's how algorithms work, yeah. right? They're like they can, yeah. they can predict mm-hmm. what we're going to do, even though we think we're exercising our free will. <laughs> 
Chris, I think when you say it that way, it makes me think back to what I told you guys earlier about the gold teeth, how I struggled back and forth. And I think it was because I was trying to figure out if I was, if I was on an algorithm or not. Like if I, sure. am I just buying these gold teeth because it's a, it's a stereotype I'm buying into, or am I not buying them because I don't want to fit the stereotype, even though it's something I really want. That's something like, I struggle with that a lot just as a, as a black person. So I, I think yeah. everybody has their, their struggles as whoever they are of like, am I doing this? Because I mean, if you think about it, maybe some people don't think about it. No, I think, um, I think you're like, right. I think, I mean, I think most black people at cert, especially if you're used to operating in white spaces, it look, okay. If you are an African American that is used to code switching for, for one of three reasons, mm-hmm. your job, your safety, or just this is the way you have to navigate spaces. Like you don't get the option. Then I think all of us do struggle with that because I definitely think I'm like, Oh, this shit is tight. And then I look at it. And then one of my friends look at it and like, it's not that cool. And I'm like, well, how do you not think this cool? And I'm like, uh, I guess white people would never really wear this or touch this. So I guess I could see. How. <laughs> like, right. I mean, okay. Oh, you know, and generally I'm like, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, but uh-huh. you know, I've definitely had conversations like that before with, yeah, I would say more of like purchases and things that I choose to buy. Uh, I mean, I'll actually never forget it. Like I kind of quote unquote dress more black one day at work and uh-huh. I got so many people walk up to me. They're like, man, I've never seen you wear clothes like this. I mean, you look really good, but like, like, like where, like, why would you wear this? Like, well, are, you, are you doing something different today? I'm like, nah, I'm just here for work. Like, you know? where do you get this clothes? I'm like, from my closet that I've had for the last 10 to 15 years. And they're like, oh, <laughs> this was like old you. I'm like, no, this is still me today. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm just here. It's just like, normally you guys see me in a polo, a polo and some cargo shorts. And you're just like, okay, coach Mario's here to do the job today. I'm technically yeah. off work. So you know, I can wear whatever I want to wear. And I forget what it was. I, I want to say it was a t-shirt from a concert that I went to a long time ago. I want to, it really bugs me now. Now I want to know, but regardless, you know, or prime example, you know, like, you know, if I wear like wearing a Wu-Tang shirt or wearing anything like that, like people just Uh immediately do it. No, no, granted, I don't personally give a shit. Cause I just make fun of the whole situation anyway, but I understand definitely how that does bother some people. And I definitely do, yeah. but I do find it funny. I just, it's like, it's just the irony of the situation that happens. Cause I would just like, you know, and then I asked myself in that same situation, I'm like, well, if this dude just walked in with like, you know, classic nineties Jinkos, you know, and a Jinkos O's and, you know, and whatever else goes along with that with some vans uh, or doc Martins, you know, and I'd never seen this employee wearing this clothes before, would I say the same thing? And generally me, I don't really care, but it, I, I do try mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate and go back and forth, but it is something that yeah. I think it's funny that I don't know, but like, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but yeah, I definitely, I feel you. And I definitely have had that same question with multiple purchases. Yeah. I mean, the age old question of fish or chicken, right? Like mm, maybe I do fish, want chicken, you know, <laughs> every day. What? See, Dude, that's cool. Steve, that's are you doing Caribbean. that to avoid the algorithm? Nah, <laughs> man, fuck that algorithm. Seafood's okay. good. That's all it me. It is be. good. But if I had a choice, I'm going to have that chicken. No. <laughs> and it, and the, <laughs> you, you telling me like quality 
grilled, slow cooked chicken with some good solid corn. I'll even make it cream. No, Mm -hmm. no, don't do cream corn. We'll make corn nuggets for you. There you go. You can get all that with, (laughs) you know, we're going to go full black here and give you some okra and anything else that you want with it. You're telling me you would say no. I mean, but definitely wouldn't say no. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, plus you're in Portland. You're in Portland. You have, well, not now, but you have access to amazing seafood. So I don't ever want to hear you say that again. I do. <laughs> yeah. I've been eating a lot more sushi out there. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to go down to Roscoe's at Portland, you know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different, you got to play the, you got to play the field. Yeah. Um, I live in Wyoming, so I don't touch the seafood. <laughs> That's fair. What do they eat in Wyoming? Burgers. That's mm. burgers and steaks. I mean, it's beef country. I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but if I'm in a, I'm in a town anywhere near water, I'm with Mario on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, best seafood ever had in my life was when I went to go climbing uh, in Spain and there was a competition mm-hmm. going on, not at Sharma's gym, but in a city near there and they had lost my luggage. So I had to go here to get it. But there was this like little, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you go to a third world country or anywhere, it's this little teeny shack. And this guy was like trying to sell me the food. And I remember looking over the counter and all I saw was a cooler with ice and a bunch of fishing rods in it. And I like parked down at that point and I began to eat because everything was sold by the kilogram. <laughs> mm. Damn. Damn. Yeah. I think ultimately uh. what it, what it kind of all comes down to and, you know, maybe, maybe fish or chicken is the best way to put it because I think we do have to just ask ourselves the deeper questions and, you know, we, all three of us like fish and we like chicken, but why, why am I mm-hmm. eating that now? What, what is it that I want to get from that now? And, and what are the deeper implications to my answer? You know? uh, can I go ahead and say only Dr. Dre of rock climbing could philosophize the fish <laughs> or chicken? Cause now you have me thinking about well, holy now shit. you want the chicken, don't you? No, I'm now I'm like, yeah, wait a minute, what sides come with what? Do I get do, do these yeah, sides do give me this privilege? Mm-hmm. That's not it's not a simple question. <laughs> I I almost answer reflexively just because I know it's not a simple question. I can't believe yeah, I can't believe we're philosophizing over this. This cracks me up. Is philosophize a word? Can y'all clarify that for yeah, me? It is today. I, yeah, it is for me. For okay, sure. okay. I, I say it all the time, oh, but I don't know. I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> okay. You know what? This whole this whole food conversation, the fish or chicken, reminded me of another time a black friend of mine mm-hmm. messed with me. Same way that you did, that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I, his name, Ooh, he, was a, he was a rapper. His name was Cuddy B. Spooky. And... Mm-hmm we were going to do some records together and we met at this, uh, barbecue restaurant and I got a bunch of pork and Mm -hmm. he stood there with me. I ordered all the stuff that I was eating. I bought his, we sit down at the table and he looks at it and he's like, you really going to eat that? And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, but it's pork. And it was like, 
silence. Like, am I offending him by eating pork right now? And then he's just like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Can I have some of it? <laughs> <laughs> did you, <laughs> what did you think? What was going through your head when he did that? <laughs> I assumed it was like, uh, you know, a religious thing. It was, you know, maybe, he, and, and I think he was into Islam in some degree. And that, mm -hmm. you know, he just didn't agree with eating pork. And I'm like, holy shit, I just offended him. Like now he's pissed and he's a, you know, big dude scowl on his face. And I'm just like, I don't know how to react right now. I don't know what to say. <laughs> he was jonesing the shit out of you. Yeah. And he knew he was. And uh, that was fine. No. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm, that's always going to be a vice of mine. I, I, <laughs> it's just, it just makes me laugh in a way that nothing else can. <laughs> I like, you know what I like about this moment? Like you telling that story and I have, this is probably true for every story, but I feel like every black man immediately can put him in that situation. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, that was uh -huh. funny as shit. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you should, you know, I, I consider that part of my, education. There's probably more of those moments if I really start thinking back to more of my, my hip hop friends, you know, that they've, mm -hmm. it's part of educating me on my own discomfort. Right. Po pointing it out to me in these, in these interesting and, you know, nice. I don't even like the word nice, but in nice ways. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it is nice, but it also like kind of going back to the thing that we were talking about earlier, it also shows that like, and once again, I'm going to speak only for myself and Devin, any other black person listening to this, but like, if we're willing to mess with you, we like you a lot. And I think mm -hmm. like, going back to it, it's like, it's the only legit safety measure, measure that we have that we can just use to mess with people. And I know I'm not saying we want to mess with mm -hmm. you, but like, as you said, it breaks down barriers and I think yeah. like, hopefully if anyone's listening to this right now, what you've gathered from is, is like, you know, we want to break down barriers. We want to have conversations with you and you need to start listening to hip hop. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yes. To all of that. Let's make an EP. You wear your gold teeth and I'll get a pocket protector Yeah, and we can, we can both be <laughs> stereotypes. This you is know, be amazing. Um, <laughs> In Indiana, there is a there's two towns. There's a there's Brownsburg and there's Whitetown, and there's a sign like when you're going. I don't remember where it is, but there's like a one direction you can go is Brownsburg, and the other one's Whitetown. Oh, that's and, the cover. And, and uh, I've I've always wanted to do an album cover right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because I think that would just be and just go all the way. Yeah, like I didn't even think of it the way you did, but. I was picturing, because it was with my old, uh, one of the bands I used to play with. Uh, we were going to do an album cover in front of there. Um, but yeah, like, I think it'd be so funny to have, like, this, the, the most, the, the most, that's the only way I can think to say it, in front of it. Just like me, like with my teeth and my glasses and like my, my old school, like, like Mario was talking about, my Timbos and my, my big jackets and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you can have like your your pocket protector and your, mm -hmm. I don't know what, oh, I don't know what else. We got to do this because we should do this. Like the, okay. Does any of them, well, uh, I don't know, Devin, I might be aging you out of this one, but do you remember the old school back in the day, the Michael Jackson videos that would come on TV and you had to go to like 
Cheerios or, or canola, whatever, Coca-Cola, and you had to send in some coupons or you could mail them and you could get the 3D glasses mailed to you for that episode that was going to air. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I do barely remember that. <laughs> I feel like you guys should like do create this album, create the CP, put it out there and then do a YouTube live skit. But like people have a party pack that they can buy ahead of time. And you, you ship it off to them. And maybe at one scene, it does have some 3D glasses. But realistically, it's just like a bunch of those glow-in-the-dark things that you can wear as necklaces. And then you have people just like send you a bunch of like memes or send you a bunch of people just dancing as your concert is going on. And that's it. But like they get a party pack. That's interesting. I like that idea of like interactive um, like art, you know? Because I think, I, I can't remember if I told you this or someone else, but I, I want music to be more of an experience, you know, like one thing I love about like the height of Kanye's output was he started to do like artwork with his music, you know, mm-hmm. or like he would do like a fashion show with his music. Like I, I want to be able to like, and that's something that I'm trying to do with, with my climbing stuff. Cause you know, Chris, that episode you put out, we called show up, show up as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this essay I just wrote for the climbing zine for Luke is also called show up as you are. Um, and, and, um, so yeah, like I just want to be able to, at least my goal personally is to be able to have stuff all go together like that, where it's like, you got the, it's like Will Smith, you know, like Will Smith would be in the movie. He would, he would write the music for the movie. He would like make the cereal for the movie. Like he would do everything. (laughs) I want to, I want to do that. You know, like, I want to be able to hit all of the, all of the entertainment points. Yeah. Well, I'll be your jazzy Jeff. Heck yeah. I was about to say, I was like, I'll be all good Suge Knight. But then I realized I remember who Suge Knight was. And I, was I don't like, know if you want to be Suge Knight. Idea. I don't want to be in this situation with Suge Knight. He was a bad person. It was the first thing that popped in my Lord. mind. But, but I was like, all right, I'm going to, I digress. I know, I know where you, what you're getting at. But oh. I'm not trying to be on death row. <laughs> Lord. Oh, man. Well, this conversation has been super fun. And I'm really happy that we could impromptu get you on the phone because uh, this yeah. trifecta of conversation has been talked about a lot. And I cannot wait to actually get all three of us in a room and actually. Absolutely. I think it's we might need two bottles. Yep. Yeah. Because <laughs> your boy can drink, so <laughs> we might need two bottles. <laughs> no, I was about to say, if you were drinking the stuff that we were drinking, that stuff went down like water. So. Oh yes. Oh yeah. That yeah. That sounds awesome. I, I you, you're giving me a north star to look forward to in, in nice. 2020. Um. So I, I yeah. I can't wait for that, man. All right, brother. Well, thank you for jumping in with us, and yeah. uh, you have a wonderful day. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Yeah, it was good to talk to you too. too. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be I'll be in touch with you both because I've got some. I think I told Mario this. I've got some ideas for my for my my podcast idea, um, and I, I think we're really me and my partner are pretty close to formulating it. So uh, you'll be hearing from me soon. All right. So that's the show. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you were laughing. I hope you learned a little bit. There's some good books. There's a lot of little big things in there. And I hope you caught that last little Easter egg 
the American Climbing Podcast is coming out soon. So if you guys don't follow Devin Dabney on Instagram or the American Climbing Podcast on Instagram, do it now. Because when this thing drops, I've had a sneak peek. You guys are going to lose your mind. I'm almost so jealous. I almost don't want him to put it out because I'm afraid you're going to not listen to me anymore. But you know something? If you're afraid of your homie's success, then you need to reevaluate yourself. So Devin, go on with your bad self playboy because I am behind you and I support you unequivocally. Guys, ladies, boys and girls, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please join the sticker club. Please support this podcast in any way, shape or form that you want to. To end this episode today, we're going to drop that track, Pearl by Devin Dabney. If you guys haven't already gone Bandcamp, check out his music. This song is a little explicit, but it is absolute straight fire. Spin that track, playboy. Yeah. Slamming doughs on the street Jeep yeah. up on a heat seat yeah. I'm on 13th street yeah. My mind on tilt and tilt to my mind Rapping on these streets yeah. Running them like sweet feet yeah. Covered in gold like C3P Oh, I'm from that P-O-R-T-L-A you niggas are way behind, but I got that state of mind Keeping right in the greatest lines while I'm on my way to shine They be hating mine, but I ain't surprised yeah. Look at me, big smile with a tank top and some top-notch kick yeah. And I bet you will not cop this Cause it's a one-on-one, meaning one and done And you never gonna get another oh. And the telly with a honey with a tattoo on her belly And we barely got it in, it was a struggle oh. Claiming she couldn't find a rubber Motors barely undercover I ain't trying to make a baby Cause I got bills and I struggle Make that double I'm in the mortar Killing niggas with boredom Let them write up their bullshit lyrics Rap and record them Feeling like they important I can see the sun for the first day Like all oh, year No rain about to hop out the crib first thing Speakers bumping that earth gang My Yeah Nigga Uh-huh Shout out to earth gang though Yeah 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 Uh What? Getting swifty to you niggas Get me Come on I'm feeling some type of way that only you can feel if you ain't seen the sun for like eight weeks. <laughs> Let me hit him with this. Rolling through your city with a dime piece with me. Started real gritty, now I'm sitting real pretty. You niggas probably hate me, so I feel like Tom Brady. Especially since I'm rolling in the brand new Patriot. Jeep, no Durango. Silver pain, no chain, no feeling unchained, no Django. Say you get money, nigga, but you really ain't. Stuff lightly because it's unlikely that you will ever find a nigga rapping this tightly. I got it so. So while you talk trash on the gram, I'm with my dog gashing out grams. I'm on a ball, cashing the clutch. I want it all, half ain't enough. Having the ball, laughing it up. Anything I want now, I can have it. Remember when we was post shit, suck can of ravioli in the cabinet. That's life, didn't change till I decided to put the work in until it's perfect and stack the money up chest height. Y'all niggas know I'm the best, right? Yep. King of the Northwest side, yep. home in the mean green, but believe me, killing y'all is the best high. Like, uh, nigga. <laughs> I'm a real though, I'm about to take my black ass outside because it's like 58 degrees. Yep. I like what you got. Good job. 